Welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. It's great to see you here today. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open up at, uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 3. The book of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read um, a few verses together. We've been journeying as a church. We've been journeying our way through the book of Ephesians. And we're coming towards the end of chapter 3. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, three things that Paul has to say to us about living the life that he's called us to live, which is going to be fantastic, going to be amazing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, the second half, we talked over the last few weeks about this is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it's it's a, a letter to the church in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And it's a six chapters long is the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are all about belief, how you should think, what you should believe. And the next three chapters are all about how we should behave as Christ followers. Because you know your beliefs impact your behavior. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, dictate how you act and what you do. True? So some of you are like, yeah, it is kind of, kind of true. Um, so, so we're coming to the end of Paul's uh, third chapter, which is all about what we believe. And he's going to get into the next three chapters we're going to look at in the next few weeks. He's going to get into to how that should look in your life. But he finishes off this segment of, of the first three chapters. And he wants you and me to understand there's great strength on the inside of us. Great strength on the inside of us. Um, my son Seth, Seth Seven. He's at school. He's learning at school. Uh, he's learning uh, how to keep fit and keep in shape. He's learning how important it is to eat the right things and to exercise regularly. And uh, it's amazing when your kids, those of you who've got kids, you'll understand this. When your kids are learning something in school, they think they're coming home and teaching you for the first time. Like you've never heard about it before. And he sits around the dinner table, well, you know, you've got to eat your vegetables. Well, Seth. You're eating chicken nuggets and chips on your plate right now, son. You're not that good at eating that. No, but you've got to eat your vegetables. Why do you have to eat your vegetables? Because they make you strong. And then he's come home from school a few times and, and he's gone through a routine. I don't know if your kids have ever done this. They've been doing PE at school. They've been taught it's good. it's good for your heart to keep strong and to keep fit and to do exercise. And he comes home and he decides, right, takes his bag off, takes his coat off. I'm going to do a few laps around the dinner table. He does about four or five laps around the dinner table, ties himself out, and then he says, I'm going to do some press-ups. He drops down to, to his knees on, on his hands, and he does some press-ups, and they don't look like press-ups. <laughs> For those of you out there, you remember the worm? You remember the worm. Nick, if you carry on, Nick, you'll show us. <laughs> remember, remember the worm. You remember that move, those, those of you? You remember the worm, the, the worm. You need, you need a visual? Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, we're not going to do that this morning. It looks like the worm, and, he, and, he's, and he's doing his press-ups. Then he stands up, and he starts doing star jumps back and forward. Like, literally, I'm getting tired watching him. He's sweating. He's just got in from school. He's sweating. And then he finishes his exercise regime, and, uh, and he, takes, he takes a moment to sit down, and he says, oh, that's good. And I say, well, that's good. Why is that good, Seth? He said, well, if I do this every day, I think I'll live to 100. I think I will. I think I'll live to 100. And he's trying to practice what he's learning. He's beginning to understand that, that actually it is important to take care of yourself. It is important to be strong. It is important to, to be fit. But actually what Paul has to share with us in Ephesians chapter 3 isn't just about the physical body. It's about a strength that comes from deep within. And it's, it's possible to be incredibly strong 
on the outside and incredibly weak on the inside. And Paul gives us insight into how we can become strong, not just physically strong, but how we can become strong on the inside to have an inner strength. And he talks to us about three things in this, in this second part of, of chapter 3. The first thing he talks about is strength. It says this in verse 14. This is what Paul says. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Before Paul gets on to telling the Ephesians how they should live, and that's what we're good at as, a, as, as Christians generally, we want to tell people what they should do, how they should live. Well, Paul spends three chapters talking about what they should believe, how they should think, what the truth is, before he begins to talk to them about how they should apply that to their lives. And before he gets on to, 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 to telling you how you should live and the things you shouldn't do and the things you should do, this is what Paul does. He says, I pray for you. I pray for you. Literally, he says, I, I, I put myself on my knees and on my knees, I pray for you. This is more than, than just words for, for Paul. This is a prayer. This is his heart's desire. And so much so that he will humble himself. When you kneel in prayer, it's an act of humility. You are saying, God, I am not above you. You are above me. And this isn't, there isn't just power in what Paul's saying. The power doesn't come in this prayer from Paul's wisdom. The power comes from the fact that it's a prayer to a God of heaven. And he says, I kneel myself. In fact, if the posture of lowering yourself in prayer before God is not a regular habit, do not ever expect to reach your highest potential. Paul understands in order to reach all that God has called him to reach, do all that God has called him to do, he's got to humble himself and submit himself to a power that is greater than him. Greater than himself. And that is the God of heaven. The God who is above all. And the first part of his prayer is this. I pray that you would have strength. Now he gives us um, an in indication, an inclination on what the nature of this strength is. Is And not just the nature and character of this strength, but the location of this strength. He says, this strength that I pray that you possess is not on the outside, it's on your inner being. He says, I pray that God will strengthen you on your inner man. Well, what's the, what's the inner man? What does Paul mean there? The inner being literally translates as this, the seat of your character. It's the center of you as a being. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your mind. It's your will. I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being. Not that I pray that you would be physically healthy, even though that's a good thing. Not, I pray that you'd increase in physical strength. No, that, that's a good thing. But that's not what Paul says. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being. That's a good prayer to pray over your own life, isn't it? God, strengthen me in my inner being. Here's what Duncan says. He says this, It is from the heart that issues the spring, that's, that's the spring of life, so that our words and our deeds are a reflection of what is in our heart. 
And the Apostle Paul wants a heart, an inner man, the seat of the soul, the seat of our thinking, of our willing, of our believing, of our action. He wants the inner man to be strengthened with power. That's powerful, isn't it? Pray that you be strengthened on the inside. What happens when you're strengthened on the inside? You're able to stand. You're able to keep going. You're able to face obstacles with faith and expectancy, not submit to the problem. When you're strengthened on the inside, you're able to push past your feelings and find God in the midst of the complexity of life. I pray that you would be strengthened on the inside. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you are a little bit older, maybe gray-haired in here. You understand that the man, the physical man, is decaying. You wonder, maybe you don't move as, 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 as sprightly as you used to. Maybe, maybe you've, got, you've got pains in joints that you didn't used to have. Maybe you've got ailments that other people know not of. That's just a struggle in life. I don't know about you. I'm feeling a little bit like that. As I get older, the person, I look in the mirror and it doesn't look like me. Anyone else have that problem? That's not me. That's not the me I remember. My hair's falling out. My hair's falling out. My back's giving in. I feel like, like, like the outer man is decaying. But here's the great promise of Scripture. Is as you get older and the, the man on the outside or woman starts to decay, God, by his power and his strength, is able to cause you on the inside to be renewed and to be strengthened. I pray that you would be strengthened, Paul says, in your inner man, in the seat of everything. And why does he say it's important that we're strengthened? He says it's important that we're strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that your faith might be visible. Because Paul recognizes that without a strengthening on the inside, your faith is never going to be visible on the outside. Without an inner resolve, an inner conviction, an inner commitment, an inner belief, an inner strength that comes from God. Without that, you're never going to be able to will yourself into a place where on the outside it will be visible. That's what Paul's saying. I pray that you be strengthened on your inner being. It's the power to take your confession and make it a conviction. I'm conscious, you know, we gather together every, every Sunday in, in times like this. We put words upon the screen and we make powerful declarations, don't we? About who God is, about what he's going to do for us. We open up the scripture, we read a prayer like Paul's praying for us now and we say, Amen. But the difficulty is we walk out of the doors. And then we find out whether the confession we've just made is actually a conviction in our lives. Whether it was just a word and just a moment, just a line, just a scripture. Or whether I actually believe this thing. That my declaration could become visible in my life. That's what Paul prays. I pray that you'd be strengthened on the inside because in order for your declaration and confession to be proved true, for the faith of God that's in you, you're going to need the strength that's not from you, it's from God. And it's an inner conviction. It's when all, no eyes are on you, where you go to and what you'll do. It's when no one's aware, how will you lead yourself? 
And what will your life say? It's the power to let your beliefs be shown in your being. Here's what I think when I'm thinking about confession versus conviction. I find it really easy to make a confession. The hard part is for me to stand on it as a conviction. I don't particularly like the gym. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the gym. But here's what I'd like to do with the gym. I'd like to go to the gym, be around the things of the gym. I'd like to watch other people get sweaty and yet gain the benefits myself. Anybody else? Like I wish, I wish you could allow other people to work out for you. You know what I mean? That, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Here's what happens. When you have a, a confession but you have no conviction... It's like going to the gym, being in the environment, watching everybody else work out, even going over to the equip equipment and having a look at the instructions. Oh, if I want to go on the treadmill, I've got to get on. <laughs> I've got to press start. <laughs> I've got to increase the gradient. Oh, that sounds good for somebody else. <laughs> Like that, that's literally what it's, life, what it's like to make a confession, to be in the environment of faith. To open up your Bible and read the, read the instruction manual. Mm, that's how David did it. Good for him. That's how Moses did it. Good for him. That's, that's how Paul did it. Good for him. What about you and me? Because Paul says in order to live the life of faith, not to talk about the life of faith, not to sing about the life of faith, not to pontificate about the life of faith, but to live the life. You like that word, pontificate? I don't know where that came from. Must be my intellectual friends. <laughs> to reason around, to think over, to theorize but we're going to live it. And Paul says, in order for you to live it, it's going to take something beyond you. In your own strength, you can't do it. He says, I pray that God, God, would strengthen you. Not that you would strengthen yourself, but God, by your spirit, would strengthen you in your inner being. It's a power that comes from within you but it's not a power generated or created by you he says the location of this strengthening is your inner being but the one who does the strengthening is who the spirit of God is that the spirit of God would strengthen you not that you would wake up and think to yourself right okay I need to make some changes in life ever done this I need to make some changes in life. This week, I'm not going to do those things, and I am going to do those things. This week, I'm going to do it. I'm going to smash it. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm run after it. I'm going to chase after it, only to find out you can't. Because willpower will only get you so far. He says that you need to be strengthened on the inside by God himself. Create space, create time, create room, and create awareness 
that this is not a work of me. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. Because it's things I can't control. I can give myself to things, I can give time, I can give space. But this strengthening isn't, doesn't come from anything I do. And when you've been brought up thinking about in context, in, in, in a country, in, in sometimes in churches that teach you and me that it's about what you can do. You do well at school. And you will make something of your life. When everything is about you and what you can do, it's uncomfortable to think this is a work of God. This is a work of God. This is to submit to someone and something that is far above our earthly context. But Paul's prayer is this. I pray that you'd be strengthened in your inner being by the Spirit of God. What a prayer to pray today. God, strengthen me in my inner being by your Spirit. Yeah, I want to live right, God. Yeah, I want to choose the right things. But ultimately, to be strengthened, secure, steady on the inside, I need you. The second thing that Paul talks about, he talks about strength, then he talks about love. He goes on, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. I pray that you be strengthened on your inner being by the Spirit of God. And then I pray that you would grasp the love of God. Here's where I've discovered you can't accept something if you don't comprehend it or understand it. And what Paul says is at some level, We've got a journey in to being able to understand the love of God and the love that he has for us. But because it is not a human love. It, it's, it's bigger than that. It's higher than that. Here's what he says. He says, the love of God, we're going to move through these really quickly. The love of God has width. He says, grasp how wide it is. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what that says? That's for everyone. When Jesus died on that cross and he made a way for you and me to be in relationship with a loving God, he says it was wide because it was for everybody. And you've got to grasp that. Because guess what? That even includes you. And that includes me. Sometimes we're happy to include everybody else but ourselves. But it's wide enough to include every one of us. He says it has length. How long the love of God is, which means this, it's everlasting. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In other words, the love of God never runs out. It was before creation and it is after. God is in his very nature inherently good. God is love. He is love. He is love. And it's everlasting. Which means it encompasses this life and the next. The love of God. And the next thing he says this. He wants you to grasp how deep it is. It's deep enough for Jesus to leave 
the heights of heaven and come to this earth. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, and being found in appearance as a man, that's Jesus, he humbled himself. He was high and he came low. He came deep. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the love of God. The cross, what does a cross show us? It shows us the love of God. That Jesus himself will be willing to give up heaven and come to earth to die for you and me. That's pretty big. That's a good place if you've been in church for any amount of time to say, amen. Amen. And he would come down here for us. But he didn't leave it there. Paul says, it's also got height. Tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That when Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he took us with him. Paul's favorite phrase throughout the New Testament is, is that when you come to know who Jesus is, you are in Christ. You have a share in Christ. You share in his sufferings and you share in his, in his glory. He has ascended to the heavens. And now the love of God that's in Jesus sits at the highest place that there could be. This is the love that God has for you and me, that Paul prays that we'll understand, that it is high and it is wide and it is long and it is deep. That's the love of God. He says, I want you to understand that so that you will be filled with the fullness of God. Clark says this, that among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. To be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the, the sense and confounds the understanding. The, the prayer that you would begin to grasp the love of God so that you would be more full with God. Anyone need more of God in their life? Come on, when, when Paul prays that you would comprehend the love of God in your life afresh today. To think on it. To trust in it. To embrace it. And to move forward in it. The last thing that Paul prays is this. In this section of prayer, he prays that we would understand God's power. He says, now to him, verse 20. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work. Where's that? Within us. So it's his ability based on his power. It's his ability based on his power. that He says that God is able he being God, God is the very definition of sufficiency. He exists all by himself. He's in need of nothing. And all things are drawn together in him and by him. What Paul says is this, that God is sufficient. He's complete. He is powerful. He is able. He's not sometimes able. He, not, he might be able. Paul says he is able. He is able to act out things and enact things according to his will. He is able. He doesn't need a helping hand. 
He doesn't need a leg up. He, all by himself, is able. I don't know what your view of God is. You came in here today. Whether the things that you're carrying, seasons that you're journeying through, and you've begun to question the ability of God. Well, Paul says this in his prayer. He is able. He is able. Not subject to circumstance. He is able. So maybe what do you need to bring to God afresh today and say, God, break in. Do something. Not based on my ability, but based on yours. Paul goes further. He doesn't just say that the nature and character of God makes him able. He is all by himself sufficient and he is able. He says he's able. He defines in the way he is able. His ability. He says he's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. He's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. Now, when, when it comes to praying prayers and, and praying bold prayers and big prayers and that kind of stuff, um, sometimes, you know, I don't know whether this is in your nature, sometimes I'll ask less rather than more. I'll, I'll always ask less. But, I, but I, it challenges me this prayer because I can recognize, recognize that he's able to do more than, any, than I could ever ask because sometimes my ask is low. But he's able to do immeasurably more than I can ever think. Now, I have a pretty good imagination. I don't know about you. I can think about some pretty crazy things, amazing things. And what, God's, what Paul says is God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask and you could ever imagine. That's bigger than, bigger than what you could ever dream, is what Paul's saying. He's able. And he even makes up a saying in the midst of this. He says he's, he's able to do immeasurably more. He's using a phrase that literally translates exceedingly and abundantly. It's a word that did not even exist in the Greek. So Paul is, is, is expressing this thought that you can't even put into words the ability and the power of God to do far more than you could ever ask or think. It's exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could dream up in your wildest dreams. And yet he brings it back down to earth. And he says he's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine according to his power at work. Where? Within you. So here's what Paul's not saying. Ask for and dream up the life that you want on the external. What Paul's saying is this power is at work within you. Which means you and me, in the hands of God, can be more than we could have ever have asked. We can be more than we've ever imagined on the inside. That God by his power, God by his spirit could work in us and could shape us and mold us into his image.
because of his power at work on the inside of you and me. I wonder what difference it would make if we got up in the morning and said, God's working on the inside of me. And his ability is to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine when I submit myself to him. Because where did Paul start? On his knees. I pray. I kneel before the Father. And I pray that he would strengthen you in your inner being. By his spirit, that you would learn how to grasp how high, how deep, how long, how wide the love of God is. Because he is able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. According to his power at work on the inside of you and me. When we make it just about the external, we've lost a vision of what Paul talks about. Paul's talking about your inside, your inner man, your inner woman. Not that you would grow this way externally, but that you would grow this way internally. And you would be robust enough to walk through the storms and the hurt and the pain because God's working in you. He's working in you. I know that some of us band, if you want to come, I'm going to get finished in a second. Some of us doubt the work that God can do in us because we're fully aware of who we are. You know yourself better than anybody. I know myself better than anybody does. And sometimes when I think about that, God working in me, God working through me, that blows my mind because I know me. A couple of years ago, we had a group of friends over from America, from the States. And... Um, they always want to go and see London. I don't know why. Why they're not happy with Ozzle Twistle, I don't know. I'll take them down the street. I say, there's the War Memorial. There's Big Papa's Pizza Shop right in front of you. Take them past Aussie Mills. There's the mills. Do you realize they have the largest pear drop in the world? Through those very doors. And they always say this, what's a pear drop? They want to go to London. And they want to look at all the sites. They want to look at uh, Buckingham Palace. No, it's Buckingham. They want to look at Parliament. They want to look at the river. They want to look at Big Ben. And the other year we took them down and we went on a, just a, like a two-hour bus, open-top bus tour of London to see all the sites. And they were so excited. Their cameras out, poised and ready. And they were looking at everything and, oh, it's so amazing. It's just like you see in the films. They're taking all their pictures, their selfies with everything. And they were so excited about seeing Big Ben. So excited. We came around the corner. We're going down the stretch. And you can see Big Ben in a distance, but it's not Big Ben. And as you get closer, we realize this, that actually Big Ben is under construction till 2020. It started in 2017. They're doing some reconstructive, restorative work on Big Ben. And all around Big Ben, if you've been to London lately, all around Big Ben is scaffolding and canvas. Big Ben is covered. 
you can't see it. And they were so disheartened and they were so disappointed because they really wanted to see Big Ben. I think sometimes in life, the work of God is a little bit like that with us. Most of it is taking place behind the scenes. Because God starts to put your broken pieces back together. And he puts some scaffolding up sometimes and he puts a canvas over you. And other people and even yourself are blinded from the work that he's really doing on the inside of you. And then there comes a moment, there comes an opportunity, there comes a day where, where literally the scaffolding is taken down and the canvas is revealed. And you'll be able to really see what God was doing on the inside of you. God's doing far more than you could ever ask or imagine. Just because you don't see it right now with your visible eyes doesn't mean it's not taking place. There might be frustration in you. You feel like God's propped you up. God's had to put some scaffolding around you. God's had to guard you. It was for your good. It was for your benefit. Because the work that he wants to do on the inside of you is exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever dream up in your wildest dreams. The person that you think you could be is nothing compared to the person that God dreams that you can be. The things that you think you could do are nothing compared to the dreams that God has for you as you submit to his will. And when Paul, he, he ends this prayer, he, he ends it with worship. He says this, he says, to him, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is a glory issue. If, if you have it too soon, if, 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 people, if people see it, if you see it, maybe he won't get the glory, maybe you will. And he says, this is a glory issue. This is for the glory of God, the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and 